Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, this is Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin, and welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. Hi, I'm Will Summer, a politics reporter at the Daily Beast, where I dig into all the darkest recesses of American extremism and extremely online militants. I'm currently working on a book about QAnon and its disastrous impact on our society. I'm also a senior political reporter at the Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. I've spent years covering the intersection of entertainment and politics, and in the post-Trump era, that seems like the only sensible way to cover politics in this beautiful, hideously stupid country of ours. On this podcast, we're going to take you on deeply reported plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, the grifters, and the influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. We're here to help you better understand how and why this is happening. And who in the halls of power are letting it happen? Along the way, we'll regularly bring on guests, including political pros, hard-nosed reporters, and some influential voices from Hollywood. So, Will, friend of the show, and one of our favorite characters over the past half decade,、uh, Sebastian Gorka, former Trump official, still someone who is a、uh, luminary, shall we say, in MAGA world and MAGA land. He's gotten in trouble with YouTube recently. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, Sebastian Gorka is, you know, obviously this kind of he has kind of like a super villain affect. So he's been booted from YouTube as of yesterday. Friend of the show Zach Petrizzo at Salon reported on this.、Uh, basically, it turns out that Gorka, you know, despite all of his bluster and all this stuff, I, you know, it's finally become too much for YouTube, and they canned him over、uh, refusing to、uh, acknowledge basically that the election was legitimate. So, what YouTube video exactly got him? Booted because can you really get booted for n- not saying that Joe Biden won enough, or did he just go on and on and on about how Trump almost certainly did actually win? Yeah, I mean the reason we're being deprived of Gorka now on YouTube is because <laughs> is because he he went off he went off too many times apparently saying the election was stolen. It's not like they're like we need you to do a declaration the election was cool. He basically just like did it over and over and over and、uh, and so finally that that got to be、uh, too much for YouTube. So you know another you know play the Hunger Games canon you know another another one fallen right but he's he still has his radio show and if I recall correctly he now has a TV show on Newsmax TV so. At least he has those respices to fall back on now that his YouTube page has bit the dust. But the I don't know that much yet about his Newsmax show. I gotta get into it more. But his radio show for years has been this delightful wellspring for people who you know choose willingly to subject themselves to it of、uh, prank phone callers and people calling in to tell him how massive his head is and how stupid he is. And then he takes the opportunity. 
to try to use that to show how allegedly manly he is. Yeah, I mean, he's a very prankable guy. I mean, you know, he people call in and they say, it's always usually about the size of his head. You know, where'd you get that big dome? Whatever. You know, they say it more, more, more cleverly than I do here, you know, and he gets very flustered. And so, unfortunately, I feel like no longer, you know, from now on, we will not get that kind of, uh, of high quality content on YouTube. Right, and something he used to do, like circa 2017 and 2018, that I don't think he does as much anymore, is that when he would get emailed or text message requests for comment, um, he would frequently uh, respond to any dipshit reporter who reached out to him with like, oh, you're a eunuch, oh, you're scum, there's never anything good you've done in your life, I will pray for you. He once asked our former colleague, Lachlan Morquet, but just one day emailed him out of the blue, it's like, Oh my God, Lachlan, I I do a terrible Gorka impersonation. I'm not even going to try. I hear you have this terrible cocaine addiction. Is everything okay? Do you need some help? It just came out That's of nowhere. Pretty good. That's using... pretty good, you got to admit. Um, I mean, no, 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 it's, it's awesome. I mean, I mean it's Gorka, fantastic. Gorka prank called me last year, right? I mean, he called up and said, you know, Will Summer. Well, he prank called you. He didn't call you to yell at you. Okay. Uh, well, I sent him an email asking for comment, and he decided to call me up, and then he told me to stick my head in a bucket full of eels, and then he played it on his show. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I felt owned. Well, and speaking of prank phone calls, Swin, I hear you've got a story to tell us from the Trump fraud hotline room. Okay, uh, this is something that listeners might not even remember because as perverse and hilarious as it was at the time and as fascinating as it still is now for me, this was an early just blip, a tiny blip on the radar of what became Trump and his lieutenants and the Republican Party's months-long authoritarian and anti-democratic streak following Joe Biden's victory in the 2020 election. But before the cap- Cavalcade of attempted legal action by Rudy Giuliani, of course, before the riot, uh, before the Sidney Powell mess, before just everything that came to define that extremely chaotic and bloody presidential transition. There was this room um, in the Arlington, Virginia headquarters of the Trump campaign that was erected shortly after Election Day 2020. It was the quote-unquote voter fraud hotline room where the Trump campaign in the aftermath of Election Day for uh, quickly erected and started advertising on social media and elsewhere that they had started this both email and phone hotline uh, service that the Trump campaign was then running, that anybody who had uh, tips or leads on uh, potential or fictitious uh, massive voter fraud that in whatever state could have possibly tipped the election to Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump could call in or email in. What the Trump campaign was hoping for was helpful tips, of course. So this is something that they started very soon after Election Day in November uh, 2020. And Will, do you think this is a good idea? It's like Trump might as well have tweeted some like campaign worker's phone number and been like, <laughs> dunk on this man. And, you know, a lot of people d- took them up on this offer to, uh, be, uh, you know, it's, it's a direct line to uh, to harass, uh, you know, a member or troll a member of the Trump campaign. So how did that shake out? Well, just for clarification here, this is not like Jared Kushner or Jason Miller sitting in a room waiting for the phone to ring or checking an inbox. These are like mid or lower level tier Trump staff who are essentially were conscripted by Trump and Trump's top lieutenants to staff this room. And the way it was described to me at the time was it was just this mostly empty room with a bunch of like makeshift office space and tables just lined up in row after row, like a scene out of the movie Boiler Room, uh, where there were just uh, phone after phone on each 
on each table and just people waiting for them to ring and uh, get what would invariably a prank call or someone who just had some completely bullshit conspiratorial claim. So what kind of what kind of messages were they getting? So as for the phone lines, as you can imagine, these guys were just completely flooded with phone calls for hours upon hours in the day and the night about uh, people making really loud farting noises into the receiver, um, people issuing violent death threats or death threats against them, people doing a whole host of celebrity impersonations, whether it was saying, I'm Jimmy Kimmel and I have a tip for you about voter fraud or pretending to be Hillary Clinton or Rudy Giuliani or President Donald Trump himself. And while reporting on it back in November 2020, I remember hearing uh, some stories about staffers having to go to the bathroom during the day or the evening while manning these phones because they needed to cry. Now, the other half of this is the email tip line, which I was told at the time was flooded with a bunch of insanely graphic images. And as you can probably guess, this operation in this voter fraud hotline room did not last long. I think it was about a week or maybe a few days or whatever until the Trump campaign decided, okay, we need to shut this down because this is an embarrassment. This is something that I want the listeners of Fever Dreams and our subscribers to truly appreciate how much Will Summer and Aswin Subsang do for you. This is something that I subjected my eyeballs to over the past couple of days and was willing to do it for you the listener. And I just want you to appreciate that. Maybe send me a nice comforting tweet or two after you listen to this. But I finally got my hands on copies of some of the images that just completely flooded the Trump quote-unquote voter fraud inboxes at the time. So I spent a chunk of yesterday poring over these images. I'm just curious what kind of messages these were. Among the images reviewed by the Daily Beast include Kermit the Frog sitting on some kind of tan block of wood, smiling with his tongue visible at the camera. But instead of it being a regular Kermit the Frog, who you might find familiar from the Muppets movies or the TV shows, this Kermit has an anaconda-like veiny grange schlong that's just almost the size of the rest of Kermit the Frog. It's just flopping out entirely onto the floor in this massively grotesque way, just flopping out there. And his enormous sagging green testicles are also almost touching the floor. And Kermit looks incredibly pleased with himself. What he's pleased with? I have no idea. Maybe he's trying to signal he hates democracy as much as the Trump team did at that moment. Oh, Jeez. Okay. Well, I'm sure when they launched the the Trump campaign room, they were not expecting to get uh, you know very carnal images of Kermit the Frog. Well, they should have. <laughs> they should have. What what whatever genius came up with this idea and thought it was good to keep it open for about a week or let alone just an hour just does not know how the just does not understand how the internet works. And this was an extremely online campaign, so I don't think they had much of an excuse. There were a lot of photos of live real life rats that would just go into town on each other, like just. just just fucking each other, just carnally going to town in fit of passion after fit of passion. There were deep fakes of then-President Trump in his underpants, or, if not in his underwear, there were photoshopped or whatever made-up 
photos of just a completely nude Donald Trump with no genitalia. One person who was subjected to rifling through these images described how there was a point where they had to zoom in on the fake photo to confirm that the Donald Trump in that image indeed had no dick and wasn't just a nude Donald Trump. Uh, there were a lot of close-ups of buttholes. If you talk to people who had to man the voter fraud hotline and email tip line, they would frequently tell you that there were a lot of dicks, a lot of erections, a hell of a lot of buttholes. Some of the images I reviewed were just obscenely up close like the whatever person this butthole belonged to was just like peeling back the butt cheeks just really wanted the camera to get in there there was this random obese lady who I had to look at a photo of for <laughs> for this episode who was just defecating in a yard I think it was her front yard and there was also of course wildly graphic hardcore scat porn and just gleefully rough sex but you know that that is garden variety compared to the, the yard defecation so I look take that any day over um, uh, uh, over the former. Yeah. So I mean, how did the Trump staffers feel? Uh, you know, getting all the, these messages. Well, apart from the despondency and the annoyance and uh, the crying, there were attempts that oftentimes just went basically nowhere for them to try to cope with it and to have some fun with it. That occasionally included some of the junior Trump staff taking note of who they felt was being especially egregious or unlikable on the phone calls and then trying to prank call them back, especially if they got what they thought was a death threat or a particularly uh, violent imagery in the phone call. They would make a point of calling the person back and pretending to be law enforcement. Yeah. So, so Swin, do you think the, the Trump campaign learned any lessons here? No, no. They, they, they took the exact opposite <laughs> lessons that they should have, and they went obviously harder <laughs> at, at the quote-unquote fraud crusade uh, than they did before they received the Kermit frog with the gigantic balls image. Listeners of Fever Dreams might also be aware that Fox News these days has a new show. I believe it is a week or so old. It is called Gutfeld, with an exclamation point. It is hosted by longtime Fox News personality Greg Gutfeld, who I think still does, or back in the day fancied himself, a comic presence on the network. Yeah, I mean, he's like the, the bad boy of Fox News, right? I mean, for what it's worth. Uh, you know, I mean, Greg Gutfeld is, he's the kind of like the, he, the, he's very like puckish. You know, I think I just saw some segment where he was alluding to like getting getting urinated on or paying someone to urinate on him on like the five. And so, yeah, I mean, so now Greg Gutfeld, who of course is the the comic relief, he he has Gutfeld, his, his late night talk show. And let me tell you, things are getting pretty rebald. Uh, not today, but we'll invite the bunny back for a future briefing, as always. Uh, but the bunny's wearing a mask. Hmm, so that's where Adam Schiff's been. What you can hear from that clip is the, the sense that, that Gutfeld exists in a sort of parallel dimension to comedy and humor, <laughs> in which, you know, it, it, there's this Brian Williams bit they do. Now, look, I mean, I think this was like a decade ago that Brian Williams got in trouble for the, the lying about the helicopter thing. And yet they have this running bit that I think they've done it on several shows now where Brian Williams like lies and he and he's just not very funny. It's a pretty rough watch, to be honest. And this is a show that is about a week old and the Fox News people 
PR shop has really been trying to play it up as the guy who's going to crush the liberal establishment of specifically late night talk show hosts. They want as many people in the press comparing his current ratings of this uh, very new program to the most recent Nielsen ratings of your Jimmy Kimmel's, of your uh, Fallon's, your Seth Meyers. And I, I think they acknowledge he's still being beaten in the ratings games by Stephen Colbert. But in certain shows, he has beaten that night's ratings of guys like Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, as much as I think you watch clips from Gutfeld and you think, surely no one could like this. And, and you know, maybe th- this is going to have to go off the air in two nights. You know, it's really hanging on to some of the Fox well, News audience. Y- you and I think that. I mean, obviously, we we watch it. And not only is it blisteringly mundane sounding to us, but if you listen to what appears to be a live studio audience in the show, they're not really even into it. They they sound openly confused (laughs) of what to laugh at and what they're supposed to find funny, as if you're at some uh, fourth grade talent show that... that your kids wrote uh, for the school. And yeah, yeah, the audience definitely seems like they want to be supportive, <laughs> but they just, it, it, they like don't know when the laugh lines are. There's a lot of just like weird syntax on the show. And frankly, I mean, Swin, I, I don't know, were you a, were you an enthusiast of Greg Gutfeld's last attempt at late night comedy? Uh, Red oh, Eye? Well, that was a, oh, what time was it even on? It was like at 3 a.m. That was late. It was like 2, 1, 2 right, a.m. It was, on, it was on Fox News. It was back when he co-hosted with people who are actually funny, who are no longer at Fox News like Andy Levy and guys like that. And it would be this middle-of-the-night Fox News show that took a uh, kind of right-wing, but they more hew towards a quote-unquote libertarian line where they just talked about pop culture in the news and tried to be as goofy as possible. There were surrealistic elements to it. Yeah, I I think the problem here is that Greg Gutfeld is no longer weird. I think he's been kind of subsumed into Fox and, and, you know, what was once the late-night bad boy, you know, is now a dude hanging out with, like, I guess we got Tyrus on the show, we got Walter Kern, weirdly, the, the guy who wrote Up in the Air, he's on on the show. I think the other weird thing to me about Gutfeld is is they write these like taglines and so it'll say like Gutfeld with more vitamin C than an orange. What do these jokes mean? What is he talking about? I mean, maybe it's over our heads. Maybe this is just like some really really like over the top alt- alternate comedy. Right. And I would dispute that Greg Gutfeld has ever been particularly funny and I've been watching his work for many years usually against my own better judgment, but but nowadays, he used to do jokes, kind of. Now they're not really even jokes. Say, Will, uh, these iPhones are awfully large these days. I guess that's what happens when Tim Cook listens to Hugo Chavez too much. That's not a joke. Yes. It's not yeah, a that, joke. That, it doesn't. I think you have a career in the Gutfeld writer's room. And, Will, this isn't even the first time that Fox News has tried this. Do you remember? I remember this as a kid. I was morbidly fascinated with it at the time. The half hour news hour. It was Fox News's attempt to do the Daily Show, but for Fox News from a perspective of as if the entire writer's room was just Rush Limbaugh chomping on a cigar and Ann Coulter encouraging him to do one-liners. Oh, yeah, I, I, I certainly remember uh, remember that pinnacle of comedy. You can find clips of it on YouTube, and the hosts, I don't know who these actors are, make jokes to the effect of, and I'm not exaggerating at all here, I might even be quoting this verbatim, where Nancy Pelosi is an angry lesbian. That's the punchline. That's it. (laughs) So... Well, so do you think, so the half-hour news hour lasted six months. Do you think Gutfeld will last longer than that? Honestly, Will, I think 
the Gutfeld exclamation point show will be with us for a long time, if only because they seem to realize what the Fox News audience thinks is funny. And that's what matters. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This week, Fever Dreams welcomes Ryan J. Riley, HuffPost senior justice reporter who covers U.S. law enforcement and the Department of Justice with a heavy focus these days on the pro-Trump mob violence at the U.S. Capitol and its aftermath. He's a brilliant reporter and one of our favorite people because, in spite of himself, he managed to turn out to be one of the least personally reprehensible individuals in our national media profession. You can follow Ryan and his daily reporting at HuffPost.com, as well as on Twitter, at Ryan J. Riley. RJ, welcome to Fever Dreams. How are you feeling? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. One of the reasons we really want to have you on right now is because, uh, along with your work at HuffPost.com, you have this procession of screenshots that you file on a weekly basis or maybe even daily basis at your personal Twitter account of photos of indictment documents or court documents that show just how gratuitously, grotesquely stupid this January 6th threat to the Republic actually was. Uh, Can you get into that a little bit about the buckets of categories you have put uh, many of these different rioters and quote-unquote insurrectionists into? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think there are two main categories in terms of the types of cases that are being brought forward. There's these more you know, conspiracy organized organization sort of cases where it's a group of people who teamed up together and are working, you know, with the Oath Keepers or working at the Proud Boys um, to attack the Capitol. And then there's this other bucket of sort of MAGA tourists, as they're referred to, uh, people who sort of wandered into the Capitol, you know, came for the rally for Trump and then ended up at the Capitol and, you know, committing a crime at the Capitol, whether it be through violence or just by their mere presence after the mob stormed the Capitol. And often they bragged about it on social media afterwards. And that's where a lot of these cases came up. Um, But it is just remarkable because, you know, in typical cases, you don't see a bank robber after they've robbed a bank leave and then say, hey, I just robbed a bank and brag about it on social media. Remember that old Simpsons episode where the bullies are driving down the road with a stolen car and they have like a camera in hand. They're like, wow, filming this crime speed was the smartest decision we ever made. Yes. (laughs) It's like the entirety of the MAGA rioters were basically that. They were live streaming crimes. Yeah. And like afterwards, some of them started realizing like what could happen to them. But, you know, there is a component of this that they they thought they were doing something at the behest of the president. So they thought that they would have their support. It is just like they were sort of indignant that Capitol Police weren't standing down and just letting them take over the Capitol in a lot of these cases. Right. Like they thought that this was a revolution. So, you know, it's kind of I guess it makes sense that you would openly brag about that if you thought truly that the election was stolen and you were doing something just for the country and you're a patriot. Right. Which is a lot of how a lot of people thought of themselves. So I guess it would make sense that you would go online and brag about it. You have uncovered a bunch of examples um, in these court documents and in these uh, this public testimony of just the massive dipshittery that was going on and after January 6th. Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, I mean, so 
it's in a lot of these cases you have pretty skilled FBI agents questioning these people who know how to really like make them talk um, and they don't really need to generate evidence in a lot of cases but they've been able to do that pretty easily there's this one case in this guy uh, at Florida and first like he lied to the FBI agent like when he was showed a picture of himself in the Capitol and he was like oh who is that right but then like he <laughs> then his wife sits down to next to him during the interview and is like and she says oh my gosh you look angry right like in the photo <laughs> so like don't bring oh, wife stitched up like by his own wife <laughs> And then he like, and then he apologized for like suggesting that it wasn't him. And like, it just like, it's like, obviously the FBI is like at your door. I mean, first of all, you probably shouldn't, you know, talk to the FBI. You should lawyer up is like really the approach. Yes, never talk to the FBI without a lawyer. Correct. But then like you like, don't definitely don't lie to the FBI. If you made the mistake of talking to them already, like the only way you can make that worse is by lying. Right. Um, So that's like, you know. That's kind of FBI 101. Um, and, you know, a lot of these cases, it's clear that people didn't go in with a very concrete plan. You know, one of my favorite cases is still the individual who went into the Capitol, repelled actually, like from the gallery of the Senate onto the floor of the Senate, um, and then went up uh, and sat in uh, sat in the seat. Um, and then afterwards bragged about how he had stolen Nancy Pelosi's seat and was there first and hadn't realized that he was in the Senate instead of in the House, which is where Nancy Pelosi's actual seat is, right? So he had the wrong body. He went to the upper chamber. He meant to go to the house and then bragged about it online. And just like, you would think you would kind of like, you know, you would kind of plan that out a little bit more. But a lot of these people, I mean, there are also individuals who came in and said, you know, woo, we're in the White House. Woo, we're in the White, like, right, they were in the Capitol. Like they, they, so at least I guess, you know, in that first example, you had someone who had the actual, you know, legislate, like they're, at least they're in the right, like they're in the legislature at least, like, right, they, you know, they didn't have the wrong branch of government like uh, some other people did when they said they're at the White White House, but if you yeah. fancy yourself some magnificent, resplendent Trumpist revolutionary, and you can't even be bothered to read a schematic before storming a building, you are the general who invaded the wrong country. That is okay. <laughs> I, I don't care how little you know about Washington, D.C., if you've never been to the Capitol before. If you're going to do something like this, you should look at a map. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the lowest bar possible to clear. And you can almost like hear the laughter come through when the FBI agents are writing these affidavits. Like you, it comes through pretty clearly. It's like they're just dunking on them. They're like, I, I, I like to imagine that they're like thinking it's going to play well on Twitter. It's like, that's how I'd be writing it at least. There was this one guy who, um, who, like this one special agent who wrote this affidavit about someone who was in the crypt and thought that they were in the rotunda, which, you know, has the ceiling's a little bit higher in the rotunda than it is in the crypt, which is underneath the rotunda. Um, and the way that they uh, cited that knowledge was that the FBI special agent said, um, your affiant, uh, I think wrote, your affiant was an intern at the U.S. Capitol in 2000. 2003 and like remembers like so he's like citing his internship from way back in the day to you know dunk on this uh on this person who thought they're in the uh in the rotunda when they're in the crypt so ryan I, there's obviously hundreds of these cases and i think you're familiar with so many of them i'd be interested which other ones stuck out to you as particularly ridiculous uh, in terms of how these people uh, acted yeah i mean well, there's a couple uh, themes that uh, i've hit on and have written about that i've seen in these cases and one thing is that there's a lot of people 
who were basically only social media friends with the people that they they talked on. Like they weren't friends with them. They were old acquaintances. These were people they knew from high school or college. And it's basically the way it comes across is like, this is the worst person that they knew from high school and they're now ratting them out to the FBI. It's someone who they've watched be radicalized over the years and like, you know, had to deal with all their, you know, shit posts and whatnot. And now they've had the opportunity to squeal on them to the FBI and they, they seized that immediately and sent in screenshots and sent in videos and all sorts of things. And that's like really has just been a constant theme throughout the past three months is that you'll get something where the tipster was, you know, knew this person from high school, but hadn't talked to them in a while. Um, It's just people who haven't cleaned up their Facebook page, your Facebook friends list. And, you know, it's somebody from algebra class in the 10th grade is screwing you over. Uh, Remember this one guy who pushed you up against a locker once in high school or the guy who refused to share his pot with you, like (laughs) under the bleachers? You now have the chance to send him up the river to the feds. It's like, I mean, it's the ultimate revenge fantasy, just like sitting in the grass for like 20 years and just waiting for your moment to shine. So that was, I mean, that's been a lot of cases. Um, you know, you have a lot of just screenshots of, of Facebook posts that end up in these these affidavits that the feds might not have known about for a while, at least. Because, I mean, ultimately they did get, the, the feds have gotten sort of these catch-all uh, search warrant returns from Facebook, from other social media companies that give them just a boatload of information, right? So they know every single Facebook user who live streamed within the bounds of the U.S. Capitol. It's all geotagged. They have a geofence around it. And they also know, you know, they can triangulate based on your cell phone uh, where exactly in the Capitol, like down to within a few meters. It's pretty scary. And then there's, of course, the facial recognition technology. But some of those cases, the harder ones are going to be, I think, I mean, I think we'll still be seeing new cases, you know, a few months from now even uh, because there's just still hundreds of cases out there. And something you've mentioned before is that you put a lot of these MAGA tourists, as you like to call them, who are now, you know, facing some pretty significant federal charges or investigations into categories of people who like to steal valor, mama's boys, people who like to cosplay as tough, but then their defenses hinges on them being utter weak-limbed pussies. Yeah, it's definitely like it's I'm going to ruin my own, you know, next story idea here. But it's like one, one I had on my board here in terms of the theme that I've seen is just these uh, these cases where their entire defense is like hinged on how pathetic they are. Right. Which is like not I mean, it's not a, a uncommon thing in the criminal justice system. Right. Like you make yourself to be, out to be sympathetic. But in this case, you have a bunch of people who came in as real hard, you know, tough guys and how, how they know better than everybody else and how the election was stolen and they're patriots and they're fighting for America. And then it just like smacks right into the face of reality and you have a situation where they're you know describing their real life and you know living it living at home living with their parents um not having much in terms of financial resources right like you know everyone obviously deserves a, a defense um and that's a great the great thing about america is that we provide that defense for people but like it's not like these people had much a lot of these people are getting their lawyers paid for either by their parents or by or by the government right or by taxpayers um so that you know so the, the financial component is a, a part of it the living situation is a part of it. You know, you had people who were still on the family plan and had registered, you had, were using cell phone numbers that were still registered to their mom. Yeah. You sort of had that sort of situation where, you know, it just comes smack dab in the face of reality. And then separately with the, so basically you had a bunch of conspiracy theorists who now are realizing the consequences of conspiracy theories and how easily conspiracy theories spread online. So, right. All these people who went to the Capitol thought the election was stolen because they believed online nonsense. And now when they actually experienced the situation and when they actually took 
part in the insurrection. They're watching fellow conspiracy theorists who weren't at the Capitol say, oh, this was all Antifa. Oh, this was all Black Lives Matter. And for them, it sort of is a stolen you know, valor situation where they don't like Antifa. They don't like Black Lives Matter. And they don't like Antifa and Black Lives Matter getting credit for their work. So that's what really made them sort of pissed off. And it caused them in a lot of situations, I think, you know, I've, I've, I've probably like over a half dozen now where people went online to say, no, it was not a BLM. It was not Antifa. It was us patriots and just created a bunch of evidence against themselves that the government is now right, using. Just to snitch on themselves. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And on top of that, there was also valor theft pervading this group of rioters when it comes to the military as well, right? There's this recent case involving someone on Parler who made themselves out to be a colonel and said in brackets, you know, retired. And they were pumping up and saying, you know, patriots, we need to we need to respond. Here's what we need to do. We need to show up again on January 19th. And, you know, a post that got 60,000 views and whatnot on Parler, a relatively popular account and was citing, you know, the words of the president was citing the words of a congressman, was citing the words of the president's son to say, you know, we need to we need to fight. Um, and then when the feds found out who it actually was, turns out that this is a guy who has this long track record of impersonating federal officers. You know, he's impersonated the F- people from the FBI, from a bunch of other federal agencies. And when he talked to the FBI, claimed that he had himself labeled as a colonel because that was his nickname from softball, um, and then put retired in bracket because he was a retired person. Checks out. Checks <laughs> yeah. out. All true. I just love the combination there that he's like, well, I'm retired and they called me colonel. What, you thought I was a retired colonel? How you would get that impression? <laughs> Especially when my image is, a, is members of the military. Certainly don't understand how you would have that impression. Oh, when, and when I'm wearing a Vets for Trump hat in the photos that I posted <laughs> online. How could you possibly even think that I was impersonating Do you someone think, from the military? I, I gotta say that the retired thing, I like. I, I feel like that's a pretty pretty good excuse. Like, I, if, but like the the softball thing just sounds like something he made up, like on the spot. <laughs> it's yeah. I think it, like you also mentioned maybe like you know oh, Colonel Sanders isn't a real. Isn't a real <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gonna arrest Colonel Sanders? Right. <laughs> it's like oh, I this was America, right? <laughs> So Ryan, you've been doing reporting on the these sedition hunters who are sort of these these citizen investigators trying to connect people who potentially were, were are riot suspects. What have you learned about that group? Yeah, I mean, so there's a bunch of different like smaller groups that are doing this work and it's I mean, I mean, frankly, the FBI is just completely overwhelmed. This is like nothing they've ever done before. Um, you know, typically the FBI, right? So like the FBI has a lot of these high-profile cases, but they involve a relatively small group of people and a limited scope of criminal offenses. Um, even if you look at a, a bank robber, like, you know, contingent or a couple bank robbers in a region, they're focused on a certain area, trying to get the word out about these particular individuals. Regional media is a big part of it, but they haven't had this sort of nationwide manhunt before. And frankly, like these online sleuths are doing a lot of things that the FBI has fallen behind on. You know, we've identified so far, I guess, four suspects that um, haven't, that yet weren't really on the FBI's radar or the FBI had overlooked uh, tips about. And two of them have been arrested so far, both for assaulting cops, including a, uh, an office or a, um, a defendant in a MAGA hat from California who came in with a whole group and then electroshocked officer, uh, Mike, uh, DC officer Mike Fanone in the neck. Um, and, you know, that there's only been two arrests in Fanone, the attack 
back on Fanon. And there was something like, I think, six more uh, targets out there. And it was one of those situations where, you know, when we were writing about it, I kind of went in, even though I've, I've been covering the FBI for a while, it's not like I'm completely naive and think that, you know, the, the FBI that you see on TV is what the FBI is really like. But I kind of had this idea that they would be further along in the uh, investigation and, than they were. And as it turned out, like, even though they had access to the video of, of Fanon being electroshocked in the neck, it was, you know, it was real quick. It was like a couple of frames that you see this hand go up and you see that device go up and electroshock the person. And it's not someone that the feds really focused on. And it took another month after uh, our story came out until that person uh, was actually indicted and then subsequently arrested. And, you know, the moment it clicked for us was when I sent a request for comment to the FBI um, about this individual. And then, you know, flash forward a few hours, it turns out that one of the people we were talking to for the story then got a call from the FBI who had already tipped off the FBI and, you know, tried to get in touch with them before. But it took us sort of, you know, giving them a little bit of a kick in the pants to move things forward. So um, who, yeah. So who are these online sleuths exactly? I mean, they're, so I've, so in the case of Brent Bozell, the fourth, um, oh, who, I, uh, classic. Yeah, it's really a classic. Oh, so I, I, explain to the listener who that is. Uh, so Brent Bozell IV um, is an individual who lives around Hershey, Pennsylvania, but really who you would better know would be uh, Brent Bozell III and before that, uh, Brent Bozell Jr. They're sort of a, it's a conservative uh, legacy. So Brent Bozell III runs the Media Research Center and a bunch of other conservative groups uh, in, the, in the D.C. region and you know, nationally. And then uh, Brent Bozell Jr. is more of like a, is, I mean, a, a, basically a conservative icon who worked alongside some really prominent figures in conservative politics at the, you know, in the middle of the last century. So it is this like family legacy. And it's, I mean, you could, you know, it's it's just, I mean, it, it, when I saw that his name pop up on the docket, I, it just was too, it was too, like, right. It was just like a little bit like the writer's room, like went a little bit over the top with that one. I feel like um, it was just like, okay, like we get it. You're kind of hammering us over the head with like the symbolism here and how, you know, you can trace the conservative movement throughout, you know, from the, you know, from the 1950s until now, until you have someone invading the Capitol. Um, but anyway, so he, anyway, so he, you know, he isn't, wasn't really closely involved in politics, but, and this is one of those examples of not following sort of basic protocols during a riot is that he went, he went into, he invaded the Capitol and went onto the floor of the Senate while wearing a sweatshirt from his children's small Christian school in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And that doesn't make it that difficult to figure out who exactly that is. That's, you know, when you only have, <laughs> when you have a pretty small school and everybody kind of knows, you know, all the parents and what they look like, it really kind of narrows down the spectrum of potential suspects. So when those photos started getting out there, they actually got into the hands of someone in the Hershey region who uh, described herself uh, to me as the person that everyone goes to when they need to look into what their new man is up to, right? So when any of her girlfriends get a new man, they come to her and she does all the online Wait, sleuthing. what? Yeah. <laughs> So she's a Facebook, like a little bit of a Facebook stalker, right? Like this is a particular set of skills that she's applying in this area. <laughs> and her skills in this in this instance really worked because he, she basically went to town and found out everything she possibly could about um, her. She, this 
you know, the school in Hershey and started going through every single person who ever liked a Facebook post posted by this account and looked at every single photo and eventually found a photo that was, you know, it was, I think she described it as a little bit vanilla. It was maybe a, a photo of uh, a snowman or something. It wasn't an actual person, but then did dived a little deeper, looked for photos of the person that was, you know, as they were tagged. And then lo and behold, turned up Brent Bozell uh, and called in that tip to the FBI and, uh, became um, FBI witness number two in that case. That's how they got him. Someone who is an informally appointed community Facebook stalker to make sure your new lover isn't a creep. That's yes. This was just a personal hobby. She said that you know t- told me that you know some people crochet, some people have paint. And she she Facebook stalks people. So, the, so you're saying the FBI could have busted this guy themselves on the taxpayer dime if only they had hired her. <laughs> so there's one individual who actually wore a T-shirt of his own company, Tactical Citizen, into the Capitol. So that was a pretty Tactical Citizen. Yeah. So that was a pretty easy <laughs> one for them to wrap up. It's like okay, so you look at the T-shirt you Google tactical citizen and then up oh, there, it turns out there's the owner, right? That wasn't too much. <laughs> it didn't take too much detective work on that one. There's another example of someone else who wore company merch to the capital direction. That was a sort of an ongoing theme, these individualized companies that were very easily tied to them. But I think actually one of my personal favorites was, um, and this is just the FBI just really dunking on someone. There was a parlor user under the name Trump is your president 1776 uh, who responded to someone else on Parler who said the FBI was going to be arresting all those who legally entered the Capitol. And Trump is your president, 1776, responded, LMAO, yeah, sure thing, buddy. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's, uh, that was sort of the, uh, the end of the uh, affidavit. Uh, that sort of was <laughs> <laughs> The FBI's kicker has, game has really, you know, stepped up in a lot of these cases. It's also funny is with the nicknames, like so, uh, Patrick Stedman was this New Jersey dating and relationship strategist. Um, and he really seems to have sort of big that guy energy because he was snitched on by not only someone from his high school, but someone from his college as well. So it carried over through both you know, <laughs> high school and college. Both places had someone who uh, wasn't a huge fan of his. And um, they managed to work in here. I think the person who knew him from high school. Yes, here we go. Witness to a high school classmate of Stedman was interviewed by the FBI on January 19th and was 100% sure the individual posting on Pat Stedman on Twitter was identical to Patrick Stedman that he has known since high school. Witness two believes Stedman resides with his parents. <laughs> Just a real. And yeah, Patrick Stedman is like 32 or something, I believe, along those lines. So that was a, a little burn that uh, Witness two had been holding on to for uh, nearly two decades and was able to uh, unleash in uh, an FBI. FBI affidavit after the Capitol insurrection. He's a dating strategist, yes. So Ryan, you've been following these investigations very closely. Um, I mean, where do you think this is headed next? Obviously, you know, there's the talk about some plea deals. Maybe they're focusing on, you know, some of these specific far-right organizations. I mean, you know, what what do you think we can expect from prosecutors and the FBI? Yeah, I mean, plea deals are definitely going to have to be a big component of this because, frankly, the court system is pretty overwhelmed. And remember, with each of those cases, it's not only the prosecution, it's about getting them lawyers and about getting judges to handle the cases. So that's just an extraordinary extraordinary amount of work and plea deals are going to have to be a major component of that. But I think it's going to be like, you know, there's going to be some controversy when people see what some of the deals being offered people who to people who invaded the Capitol. I think that there's going to be probably some people who are pretty upset about that, especially how we've seen protesters in other cities be treated by the police.
attorneys and by and by prosecutors. Well, on that note, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the program. That was really illuminating. And uh, please come back anytime. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Fresh hell. Fresh hell. Hell yeah. <laughs> and now we bring you to our next segment, Fresh Hell, in which we introduce the audience to something they will be astonished by in this world of ours. Will, something you've been tracking recently as you've been on book leave is Alex Jones, Infowar host and also part-time border vigilante. Can you tell us a little bit about what he has been up to at the U.S.-Mexico border? Yeah, so basically last week there was this video of Alex Jones, and it was really trumpeted as Alex Jones stops child sex traffickers. And there's this video of him really kind of getting into it with the driver of this car, and he's supposedly stopping these children from being trafficked. But Swin, would it surprise you if I told you that that's not exactly what actually happened? You mean he didn't conduct a humanitarian service that we should be patting him on the back for? Well, no, as it turns out, so, so you know, it, what often happens here when I'm working on on this kind of stuff is like I have to do these kind of like very intensive readings of these like blog posts on the Gateway Pundit because usually it's like well how did he know they were you know child traffickers and then it's like oh in this in this Alice Jones case it turns out the kids were not wearing seatbelts well that's about all you need to know to know if it, that is against the law though everybody buckle up your kids well maybe they weren't wearing seatbelts because Alex Jones was screaming at them and they were like <laughs> okay we gotta go you know I mean so so basically so Alex Jones claimed it turns out this is the, the Catholic Charities outfit down in Texas they claim Alex Jones was just you know this was a, an immigrant family that they were gonna drive to a, a shelter and Alex Jones kind of jumped out and started you know it, it did this kind of stage showdown that was then quickly picked up by various right wing blog says, you know, this this kind of stuff is, is so rampant on the border that Alex Jones just sort of stumbles into it. Okay, so basically he's harassing a Catholic charity, and that's it. That's all he's doing. Yeah, I mean, th- these are, are immigrants, and, and he's he's yelling at them based on the idea. He's saying, you know, you're trafficking kids, and this driver's like, what are you talking about? And, you know, then the, basically the police have to come and escort these kids away. And so for, for InfoWars, for their audience, and for kind of their allied sites, this has become a big win. But, you know, if you look into it, it turns out to not be, as I mentioned, as quite the explosive claim. Right, and Alex Jones happens to be a monumentally oafish example of this phenomenon. But this isn't entirely rare where a lot of the QAnon and not even directly QAnon-related sex trafficking or human trafficking panic in this country often manifests itself, where someone will see something utterly mundane, like an Asian person walking through an airport with a kid, and then try to call the cops or the authorities on that family for, I think, think I see human trafficking or sex trafficking and I need to see something or say something. Uh, if people look this up, something similar to this happened to Cindy McCain. <laughs> where, well, yes, yes, absolutely. Where uh, the authorities then had to later come out and say that there was zero evidence whatsoever that anyone was being trafficked in that airport at that p- particular time. So there is this impulse where a lot of people's just unabashed racism gets channeled into, oh, I gotta save the day and I gotta cosplay is Liam Neeson from Taken for a quick second. And Alex Jones is just one of the dumbest versions of that, but he is not alone in that large 
sphere of moral panic, shall we say. No, certainly not. And he's also not alone. In, and I think we're going to start seeing kind of a big boom in right-wing provocateur slash prankster bogus video stuff. I mean, I think COVID's coming to an end here. Hopefully we have a Democratic administration. So I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities for right-wing people to do like undercover stings and so on. Right. And I generally believe that things in our politics and our culture with various blips and upticks aside has been getting better over the past decades and and less violent and maybe even slightly less stupid. But when I see this particular panic that you spend a lot of time documenting, Will, it does make me wish that, okay, can we bring the Satanism panic back or the killer clown panic back? It is that is less dumb than the... God, you remember the clowns? The clowns, that thing a couple, like maybe five or six years ago, where it was like the clowns are being spotted around town. But even with <laughs> the killer clown panic, I don't remember a parade of gun-toting lunatics walking into the circus demanding to know where the captured children were and trying to take out the killer clowns. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.